Welcome to Accounting Insider. I'm Andrew Montessi with Kim Nitschke. Now, Kim, you've been doing a little bit of work lately on the lifetime value of your customers. Can you tell us why? Um, it's a topic that's been kicked around a bit lately on the internet, uh, mainly by a firm called Kissmetrics. And it resonated with me because it's a way of uh, – sorry, just going back a step. The, the traditional way of looking at your business is to value it. Now, this is a different mindset that sort of values each customer. And the beauty of this is I, I like this a lot better than just throwing a number out and saying, oh, my business is worth X. If you value each customer, it makes you actually consider what that customer is worth to you but further to that, what you can afford to pay to acquire them. Now, this was a big revelation for me when I sat down and worked this out because the customer, the bottom line is the customer is worth a hell of a lot more than you think they are, right? And this, and, and this, when you actually understand it from that point of view, you can see how um, discounts offered for referrals, like with Uber, you know how if you introduce someone else to Uber, they yep. get a $30 credit. How those sort of concepts work so well and that if you pay a referral fee to customers who refer customers or you send a bottle of wine or you pay per click, to, it all makes perfect sense. You know, everyone obviously wants to get everything for free. Mm -hmm. But if you want to leverage your business and grow at a rapid rate and you know what each customer's worth, then you're happy to spend money to acquire customers. It's massive. Cost per client is a huge one for me. When I talk to my own clients in a marketing context, it surprises me. Well, it actually doesn't surprise me, but most people rely on anecdotal evidence. Oh, you know, I've always advertised on radio or I've always advertised on print. Hmm. Well, well, okay, how much is it costing over a year? how many leads are you getting from that? So what's your cost per lead? Mm -hmm. And then how many clients are you getting for that? And you break it down, you work out, okay, it's it might be costing me five grand to get one client. And then all of a sudden you start going, actually, maybe this isn't working. Or you crunch the numbers again and it might be costing you a hundred bucks to get a client. And you go, actually, this is working. So then I might actually double my spending on this marketing or advertising medium. So all of a sudden you've actually got power to make proper decisions it, it makes me think of a story where I set up from home with my business in my first year it was a real struggle like you wouldn't believe to get clients and I was ready I was sitting there mm -hmm. waiting for the phone to ring I thought you know what am I going to do I'm good at sport I went and joined Meadows football club right and played footy I thought I'm going to get all the footballers as customers Man, out on the track, the training, this is, this is all part of the cost of acquisition of clients. I got no clients out of it. Mm. I ended up doing my knee. <laughs> right. I've been there. And it was just the worst example of cost of acquisition for a client. Yeah, and we should also say that cost isn't just financial, it's time. It's time. Mm. Another example is I thought I want to get more hotels as clients. So I went on a uh, outback tour with some hoteliers to a basically a big booze up in the middle of nowhere it's fantastic i came back with one customer it took me five days and cost me thousands of dollars in travel and everything it was 
you know, so if you actually look at the cost of acquisition of that customer, it was about ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, you, you can understand the yeah. mindset. Oh, so, for sure, and everyone does it, but no one actually breaks down. Okay, what what is the actual cost of this? And so now, for me, I've I've decided, no, 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 I'm not going to do anything that I don't enjoy. So for me, I love surfing, I love motorbikes. I'll do those things and I'll network with people while I'm doing it, but it's only because I enjoy it, mm. right? And if I ride in my motorbike through the middle of Australia on dirt tracks and with a great bunch of mates like I did in May, I had the time of my life. And when we'd sit down at each night at the campfire, all the stories would come up. They'd see that I'm passionate about accounting. I got a number of customers out of it. But for me, the cost of acquisition was much smaller mm. because I'm actually having a ball while I'm doing it. Mm, absolutely. So to come back, how are you calculating the lifetime value of your customers? Okay, so there's a formula and um, a lot of this is a rehash of this amazing infographic done by Kissmetrics. Um, so if you want more detail, just Google that. I mean, I know that that sounds like a cop-out, but for me, I want to break it down into what that Mm-hmm. infographic means for me in my business so it's it's really um it's a formula which is revenue times your profitability times your number of customers times the number of times they purchase from you okay so you've got to look at all, each of those four components so i've got it in front of me revenue times profitability times number of purchases times number of years times number of years that's it so tell me about the revenue aspect so the revenue is basically what they spend with you. Now, when I looked at my client list, I've got two segments of clients. I've got your mum and dad, tax returns and investment properties, and they come in every year. And it's a pretty straightforward example, a pretty straightforward exercise to do their work. But it's just an integral part of my business, and I've got hundreds of them. But then I've also got another um, section of clients which are your high net worth clients which are your doctors your business owners and these people uh, really earn a lot of money a real 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 lot of money and they don't have any time and they want someone who can come in and run their lives for them and they represent a huge opportunity for me because I know how to do all that stuff I've got the time and I know the answers. It's not like I think I know the answers or I'm going back to them and telling them <laughs> what you should do. It's like, okay, we've got this relationship now. So um, you do your work, you make the money and then let me manage it for you. So that, that involves buying properties for them, um, setting up service trusts in their business, minimising their tax, um, organising insurances for them organising home loans for them, all that stuff. I'm, every time I'm doing it, I'm only doing it where I can do a better job than they've already got or if they haven't got insurance, mm. then it's a bit easier because I'm not up against um, another guy down the road that I'm trying to compete with. You know, I'm mm. starting with a clean sheet. So the revenue, I mean, that was a revelation for me because I just thought, you know, I've got a big pile of clients, but no, there's actually two segments of my business. Mm-hmm. One is low revenue, one is high. One is um, spending a lot of time with. One is turning over really quickly. Mm-hmm. The, 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 um, the little ones, it's more like you want to push them into a website where they just key their data in 
and it's done automatically. Being the as other, efficient as possible. That's right. The bigger ones, it's no, 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 no. I need to be taking the calls. I need to be dealing with them. The back-end work can be delegated, but I need they need to ring me when they've got a question. I need to go away, do the research, report directly back to them. Mm. What about profitability? Okay, so another revelation for me was every time I do a job the first time, I lose money on it. I really make money the second, third, fourth time that I do it. So for me, it seems clear that the first time I do it, even though it takes a long time, I need to take extra time to document it and systematise it and write letters that are generic and can be copied. Mm. Right? And if I think that there's a one-off job that's coming up, if I don't think I can replicate it, I should say, look, I can't really help in that situation. Right? You know, and often I'll do that. I'll say, look, I can't really bring much value to the table in this situation. You're better off if you do it yourself. Um, so that's what I've learnt about the profitability. If you systematise it, you get economies of scale, you can replicate it. If I'm writing a letter to someone about car finance, I can copy and paste that mm. and regurgitate it to someone else. It's taken me a big chunk of time to do it the first time, but it takes no time to do it the second. It's almost like change the name. Yeah, and it's, look, it also comes back to the, the previous episodes where we've discussed things like outsourcing and even going paperless and all that sort of stuff. It all it all comes together into this profitability aspect of the business. What about number of purchases? That's actually a really good thing about being an accountant is you, you, most of your clients, I would imagine, uh, they become repeat clients. We see them every year. Um, the number of purchases, well, this is an interesting one because... Is six times. There's a saying that it's six times easier to sell to your existing clients. Now, how do you maximise that? So, what we've done is we've added all these other bolt-on services. So, we started off with the accounting and tax, and that's great, and that's rock solid. Always will be the foundation of the business. However, once we've done a good job at that, that gives us an opportunity to sell insurance. Right? Gives us an opportunity to redo home loans. Mm -hmm. Gives us an opportunity. Um, to do financial planning, right? So we can have one customer that we sell three or four times to. And on those sales, we're getting trails and kickbacks and commission, all disclosed to clients, but um, it gets easier and easier and your revenue just grows up and it sort of almost like snowballs as you move forward. Mm. But these clients are loving it because they've got one touch point, it's me. Anything to do with finance, I'm the go-to man. I'm right in the middle of that that circle and everywhere periphery around it is all of these different fields that we are specialising in and doing a great job for our client in. They don't have to worry about it. They can continue doing their business and um, relying on us for advice in anything financial. And then the next part is number of years. Yes, yeah, so we like to think of our, that we're accountants for life. And it works. If we're doing a good job for a client, they'll never want to leave. Got, often got clients who are with us for 20 years. Uh, so I think that's the great thing about accounting is you do a great job this year, you're going to be right in the driver's seat to do it again next year. And you, 
the retention is amazing. Mm. It just builds and builds and builds. So number of years, like for a law firm, you might have your average client life might be two or three years. Whereas for accounting, it's massive. Mm. Often it's 10 years plus. Mm. So can you give us some numbers? What, what were some of the... Do you, have you worked out the average lifetime value of customer one, the high, high net worth customer? And have you worked out your average lifetime value of your vast turnover customer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what I've learned is that the valuation on accounting firms is really low compared to the lifetime value that you put on clients, right? So if you were going to buy an accounting practice, you'd pay one year's revenue. So one client, say they're a $1,000 client, you'd pay $1,000 for that. But the lifetime value of that person, mm. if you're doing a $1,000 job and your costs are um, 50% of the job, so your profit is 500, and you keep them for um, 10 years, you know, that whole model of valuing them for one year revenue is so conservative. Mm. Right, and then you've got these other bigger clients, which are ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars. It's almost like they're worth a hundred thousand dollars as a client. That's their customer mm. lifetime value. So, you know, where does this all lead? It leads to the fact that taking them out for lunch, whining and dining them, taking them to the footy, all of those things are just a minuscule component. You're saying some of your clients are worth north of $100,000 yes. too. Yeah, that's what yep. I'm saying. And, and to, to win them, it's like it's party time in the office because they walk in, you sign them up with an engagement letter, that's like $100,000 right there on the table. Mm. So, um, I mean, I, I love my firm because we are growing organically. We're not acquiring other practices. We've done that in the past, but what tends to happen with that, and I've learned my lesson, is that you're buying them off of old guys who are retiring. Their clients are either, say the client, say the one situation, the guy that I bought an accounting practice from was 65. His clients are five years plus or minus that age. Your lifetime value on those mm. is much less because they're moving into, the first thing they're thinking about is retirement. Whereas the ones that I'm generating are five years plus or minus my b- birthday, their lifetime value is so much higher. Mm. That, that's occurred to me. Um, the marketing spend of the office has got to be increased as a result of doing this exercise. Mm. I went to a speech recently which said that you need to be spending 5% of your turnover on marketing. Now, that's a huge number. And I'm way, 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 way south of that. I want to ramp it up. If I do, it's almost a little bit concerning on what the impact that's going to have on the growth of your practice. Mm. It's a great thing, but taking a chunk of money and throwing it in marketing is going to have astronomical results on the on the client book. In terms of well, how do you deal with the being growth? Being able to manage it. How do you deal yeah. with the growth? Yeah, you know we, we are efficient at what we're doing, but we need. We need more excess capacity. It's like we need another two graduate accountants just on standby to handle the growth. But the good thing is, as you've been talking about throughout our series, is that you're building a scalable platform, going paperless, looking at outsourcing, uh, reviewing your systems, so that the platform's there, so that then when 
these new levels of growth trigger, it's not actually going to break the firm. I think that's where a lot, a lot of the traps that companies fall into, and this is probably another episode, but they're not actually set up for fast growth. They're not no. actually set up to scale. And, and that's, for me, it's like letting go. I've, I've come up with this concept for me that you've got to let go to grow, right? Um, so everything in my office has to be delegatable. I need people around me that I can rely on that are going to pick up the job and run with it. When you have that mindset, it's easy to grow because you can slot people in and the people you're slotting in are getting better and better. So it just gets um, more and more momentum and grows in a really good way. You hear about so many stories like the E-Myth Revisited where it's a classic example of um, it was growing in the wrong framework, the, the, the bakery that's mentioned in that story, and he was just ended up losing money, so he pulled back to just himself. Now, the way we're growing is scaled, it's managed, it's measurable. It can grow and you can, you can spin that wheel faster and faster as you get bigger mm. and bigger. And it's not going to derail. It's not going to throw out a kilter as long as it's all in balance. You've got the right number of managers. You've got the, so you've got the right number of chiefs. You've got the right number of Indians. You've got the outsourcing happening. It all just works really well. And then you can concentrate on your marketing, like what we're doing now, mm. rather than being back in the office and putting out spot fires. And that's where you start to really mm. <laughs> get the massive growth numbers. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Accounting Insider. Visit the website, accountinginsider.net, and connect with Kim. Thank you for listening. Thank you.